Good morning, everybody. We're um, going to jump back into the teaching series. We took a break last week. Uh, before we do that, <clears throat> I want to ask for your help with something. Um, in two weeks, we're going to start our summer teaching series. And um, if you would like to help us out with this, um, we're looking for family pictures from summer. Um, so think uh, vacation, think camp, think your favorite summer activity, whatever it has to do. It could be brand new. It could be on your phone. It could be an actual physical photo album. You remember those? Um, it could be new. It could be vintage. It could be whatever. But uh, if we get enough of these, we're going to compile them and use them kind of in a creative way. Um, and if you're willing to help us out with that, there's a couple ways that you can get those pictures to us to help us with that. Um, there's a, a phone number that you can text those to. So if they're on your phone, you can just text them right now uh, to that number. You can email them to us if they're at home on a digital photo album somewhere on your computer. Um, or as the kids say, you can slide them into our DMs on all social media platforms. Um, so if you want to help us out with that, we would love for you and your beautiful family pictures and faces to be in actual pictures. Like don't send us Google images. We can do that on our own. Okay. We want pictures of you and your family. And, and having fun during the summer. So that's just a, a real easy, quick way um, that you can help us with our, our, our summer series. It starts in two weeks, all right? But today, uh, we're picking back up in um, Tempting G's Us. This series has all been all about temptation. And um, thinking about it this week as we jump back into this, temptation is such a weird thing because we all deal with it. It's the great equalizer, like nobody's exempt from temptation. But it's so irrational. It's so irrational. Like, why do you do stuff that hurts you? Why do you do that? Why do I do that? Why do we do stuff that hurts our family, the people that we love? Why is that? It's so irrational when you think about it. In fact, if you think about temptation long enough, it will lead you to God. It's so irrational to think, why do I hurt myself? Why do I hurt people I love, and one of the great things about following Jesus is that he actually gives us an answer to that question. Scripture actually answers that question for us. But, but, but why do you do that? Why do I do that? And we can't just chalk it up to selfishness. You know, selfishness says I'm in this for me. But if you were really in it for you, you wouldn't do stuff that hurts you. So it's not just pure selfishness. It's something else. Why, why is it? It's so irrational. So you guys, you, you need to figure that out. Okay, let's just close in prayer right here. You guys go figure that out, right? So it's just, it's just this weird dilemma. It's this weird tension that we all face, we all deal with. It's not a Christian thing. It's not a non-Christian thing. It's an everybody thing. We all deal with this temptation. And so we're, we're focusing on this for that, for, or that for this entire series. And specifically... Uh, we're looking at this narrative from Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, you want to open it up, that's where we're going to be today, um, where Jesus was tempted. And we've said from the very beginning of the series that, that the, the, the temptations that Jesus faced, not the specifics of the temptation, but the categories of the temptation, are the same temptations that you and I face. Um, they're, they're the same things like Satan hasn't come up with any new material. He's used the same stuff for thousands and thousands of years. And in part one, um, we said that every time we're tempted, there's three things at stake. And for those of you who are here for the first two parts of this series, you know the three things are your future, your family, and your faith. Your future, your family, your faith. And the reason that we know this is because every single one of us are a living, breathing example of this. 
Because you can go back to, to moments, to seasons, to decisions, to things you agreed to in the past whose consequences are still with you today. Right? Why is that? Well, that's because every time you're tempted, what's at stake isn't just what's right in front of you. There's a piece of your future at stake. But it's not just your future. It's your family's future. Again, some of us are, are, are examples of this because we had a spouse, we had a parent, maybe had a grandparent that couldn't, couldn't get past temptation. They couldn't get past addiction. They couldn't get past a habit. And, and the, their decision has affected you because you were their future family. And again, why is that? Well, it's because whenever it comes to temptation, there's always something at stake. There's always something more at stake. And one of those things is your family or your future family. And then the third thing, it's more subtle. It's a little bit harder to kind of get our hands on. But two weeks ago, we said that um, probably the most important part of this is, is your faith. And, and I tried to make the case that this one idea could revolutionize how you approach, how you respond to, how you handle temptation. That, that if you're a follower of Jesus, temptation is always a test of your faith, not just your self-control. And I know this is a little bit of review for those of you who are here, but I'm trying to help connect the dots that if we could step back in the midst of our temptations and we could say, okay, how is this decision um, how, how is clicking on that? How is responding in anger? How, how is all of that stuff? It, 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 is, is doing that going to help or hurt my confidence in God? Will it increase or decrease my affection for Jesus? That if we could step back in the midst of temptation and connect those dots, if we could follow the spirit as he leads us into all truth, so we could, we, could, we could revolutionize. We could change how we respond to temptation because every single time you're tempted, the issue that's at stake is always, 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 can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted with my business? Can God be trusted um, even though I have to bend the rules here to get ahead? Can God be trusted even though my parents are fuddy-duddies and they never let me have any fun? Can God be trusted even though I'm lonely? Can God be trusted even though I'm getting older and I really want to be married and he might be the only train leaving the station? He's not much of a train, but I'll take it at this point. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> Can God be trusted? in the details of my life. That's the issue at stake. Every time you and I are tempted. So today, um, we're going to look at the second temptation that Jesus faced. And, and this one is so subtle. In fact, um, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've been in and around the church, if you know the Bible, all those kinds of things, you are more apt to give in to this temptation than anybody else. It, 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 again, it's so subtle. I'm not even sure the way that I'm going to communicate it today really gives it the full weight that it deserves. But you could go years, decades, your entire life, not seeing the grip of this temptation on you. The second temptation Jesus faced and that we face is the temptation to presume on God, to say, um, to, to assume, well, God would never or God will always, 
Or, you know, doesn't God want me to be happy? Is, isn't, isn't he a God of grace and mercy? Won't he just forgive me even though I do this? Isn't, you know, I can just launch into my life any way I want and God will come through for me, right? It's the temptation to assume or to presume on God. So let me, let me show you what I mean, okay? We're in Matthew chapter four, uh, starting in verse five. Uh, temptation number two, here we go. It says, then, remember, so the first temptation was um, to turn stones into bread. And isn't it interesting? Like Satan's first temptation for Jesus had to do with hunger and food. And many of us, our greatest temptation is food. Isn't that interesting? Some of you don't think that's interesting. Or maybe it's just uncomfortable. I don't know. Then, then the devil took him to the holy city, talking about Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, we don't know if this was like Star Trek where Scotty beamed them to the top of the temple or if they walked there. We have no idea. But they're, they're at the temple. And this is a couple hundred feet off the ground. And the idea is they're overlooking the courtyard of the temple where the chief priests and religious leaders and all these Jews, all these Gentiles are, they're just congregating in the courtyard of the temple because the temple was the hub of religious and political and social life in Jerusalem. So that's, that's kind of what's going on here. All these people are down there. And here's what the devil says to Jesus. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. And then this is pretty slick. He quotes from Psalm 91. Remember last time, the first temptation, how Jesus resisted it? He says, it is written, right? He uses scripture. And Satan goes, I got a verse too. Throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's like, look, Jesus. You and I both know you're going to have a hard time proving you're the Messiah. And I mean, dozens of Messiahs have come through here for the last 40 or 50 years. They're going to be like, what's new? Another Messiah. And Jesus, you know the hardest people it's going to be to, to, to you know, prove your divinity to will be the religious leaders. So just jump. Just, just jump. God's not going to let anything happen to you. Do you know how hard he's worked to get you here? It's taken 700 years. He had to choose a man, make him into a family, take him to Egypt, make him into a tribe, you know, 400 years of slavery. He had to get them out of Egypt, bring them to the promised land, build all these wonderful buildings and build this nation and the Pax Romana. I mean, Jesus, come on. Do you know how hard it was to get the Pax? Just, he's not going to let anything happen to you. Just jump. Just jump. He's not going to let anything happen to you. It says right here in this verse, He's not going to let you fall. I mean, all these people will see you fall, and I don't know if you're going to stop and start levitating like an inch from the ground or if you're going to hit the ground, get up, dust yourself off, and people are like, whoa, who are you? And they'll, you, you'll be able to show them. You'll be able to tell them, I'm the Messiah. Can't get any easier than that, Jesus. Just jump. It's a great plan. Pull the trigger. Trust God to come through and bail you out. That's what's going on. That's what's happening here. It's the temptation to launch off into some direction and say, God, you're going to help me with this, right? Like, God, you're going to bless this, aren't you? You're going to come through for me. After all, you're an awesome God. We just sang it on Sunday. You're a good God, a God of grace and mercy, a God that has a plan for my life, a plan to prosper me and not to harm me. I got a verse, Lord. As if God's going, 
shoot. I put it in the Old Testament so nobody would read it, but they found it. I guess I got to do what they say now, right? It's, it's, it's the temptation to presume on God or to assume God will bail you out of your bad idea. It's, it's the equivalent of the 17-year-old kid who's driving around with his buddies and they're doing all kinds of stuff they shouldn't be doing and have all kinds of stuff in the car they shouldn't have. And he's going, but my dad's a lawyer, so guys, if we get caught, my old man will bail me out. Well, he might, <laughs> but aren't you making some assumptions? Aren't you assuming something? See, in that scenario, the dad is the authority. He's got the resources, the knowledge, the years of experience. But the son is forcing his dad into a position where he's subservient to his son. I'm, I'm going to force my dad to do something for me. I'm going to put him in a position where he has to serve me. That's what Satan was tempting Jesus to do. Just jump. Your old man will take care of you. It says so right here in the Bible. I've, I've, oh my goodness, in church world, we have terminology for this. We have terminology, it's absurd, but it's almost become a part of our theology. Here's how it sounds in church world. Well, I'm just going to step out on faith and trust God. You know what that means? Most of the time, it means I've come up with an idea that's not very well researched. I've sought no godly counsel on this. It's not wise. It defies common sense. It probably won't work, but I'm going to pull the trigger on my idea and trust God to bail me out because I got a verse here that says that God will give me the desires of my heart. That's not faith. It's presumption. And most of the time it's stupid. I know I'm not supposed to say that word in church, but it's stupid. And here's why it's stupid. Because when it doesn't work out the way that you want it to work out, you get mad at God. And he's going, <laughs> that wasn't my idea to begin with. You got yourself in jail, and I'm a lawyer, and I love you, but don't you think you should have called me first? Don't you think you should have checked with me first before you got into all that debt? Don't you think you should have checked with me first before you married him or married her? Don't you think you could have come to me? You could have asked me first. I'm all those things, a God of grace and mercy and love. But you don't play me. You don't force my hand. You don't manipulate me into doing what you want me to do. And see the danger? Like the danger in this temptation is that we think we're living by faith. But it actually has nothing to do with faith. Coming up with an idea, pulling the trigger, and then asking God to bless it isn't faith. That's hope. And hope is a good thing to have, but hope doesn't always work out. You don't get everything that you hope for. I've said it before. I'll just say it again. I'll say it till I'm dead. Faith is responding to God's promises, not getting God to respond to your plans. And, and too many times, and I don't know if it's because of the culture we live in. I don't know if it's because we can answer our own prayers. I don't know. But too many times we reverse the two. It's, it's, it's exactly what the temptation is. Jesus, you, don't, you, you want their attention, don't you? Yeah. Well, do you want to demonstrate who you are? Yeah. Wouldn't you love it if the chief priests and all the religious leaders saw your glory? Yeah. I got a great idea. Just jump. 
Just jump. God will rush in to save you. Because he's not going to let anything happen to you. Here's the verse. It'll all work out. Now watch what Jesus does. Here is where we have to pay attention, if you haven't already, okay? Watch what happened. We talked about this last week. Jesus knows the history of his people. Jesus knows the history of the devil. So he reaches back into history where his people face the very same temptation. Again, the devil's not coming up with new stuff. It's the same old, same old. It's the same stuff. He goes, Jesus goes to the time when the Israelites left Egypt. They're wandering through the desert. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Manna, you know, every single morning. But they find themselves in a place where they don't have any water. Two million people in the middle of the wilderness, no water. So they're faced with a couple options. Option number one, God miraculously delivered us from Egypt. He, he drowned half of Pharaoh's army on our tail. He feeds us every morning and every afternoon. We didn't talk about that. We don't know where this water is going to come from, but you know what? Let's just trust God. I mean, he brought us this far. I'm sure he's got this figured out. That's the first option. The second option is to try and manipulate God into doing what they want him to. And since they can't see him, they go after Moses. They go after the leader. And surprise, surprise, they choose option number two. They essentially say, hey, God, you're not going to let us down, are you? Hey, God, aren't you the God of grace and mercy? Not in a trusting, respectful, reverent way, but in a, a, almost a taunting way. Watch this. Look at Exodus 17, kind of jumping into the middle of the story here. It says, so they, the Israelites, the people, quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? I thought you said, God, fill in the blank. I, I, he's obviously not going to do that, Moses. So did he just bring us out here so we all die of thirst? It's almost like they're trying to force Moses to force God's hand. And, and you can read it for yourself. God does a miraculous miracle right there that day, provides water for them in the middle of the desert. But then skip down to verse 7. And he, talking about Moses, he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? God, are you paying attention? You know what's going on right now? Because it sure doesn't look like it knows what you, you don't know what's going on right now. God, are you going to show up and take care of this? Or am I on my own? And Moses, he doesn't mark the spot by naming it by the miracle. He names the spot by the Israelites' response. Quarreling, taunting, testing, tried to manipulate God. Now, hang with me, okay? That's an exodus. Exodus is the book of the Bible that talks about, you know, the Israelites moving out of Egypt and towards the promised land. It's kind of like a history book. Deuteronomy is another book. And Deuteronomy is like a speech. They're on the doorstep to the promised land, and Moses gives this speech to try and remind them of all the things that God has done. If you, if you read Deuteronomy, the word remember, remember, remember comes up over and over and over again. He doesn't want them to forget that God is faithful. God can be trusted even when it doesn't look like he's active, he's still paying attention. Over and over and over again. So 
Exodus the history book, Deuteronomy is the speech. I want you to listen to what Moses says in this speech about that particular incident with the water. It's one verse. Deuteronomy 6, 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. The word remember is not in there, but that's what he's saying. Remember what happened, guys? Remember an entire generation had to die off? Don't be like that. Don't do that. When, when, when you get into the land and you have cities and armies and you have your own house and you've got an economy, don't give in to the temptation to try and manipulate God, to force his hand, to get yourself in a situation like you did at Massah where you said, oh, but I thought you loved us and you were a God of grace. Moses says, don't test God. Yes, he's rich in mercy, he's rich in grace, but you cannot force his hand. And so there's Jesus Right? Jesus standing at the top of the temple. Satan says, jump. God will come through for you. It'll all work out. But once again, Jesus sees past what's going on right in front of him. And he reaches back to Deuteronomy. And here's his response. Jesus answered, it is also written. Pause. Pause. Anytime you take a verse out of context and you build theology around it, you are skating on thin ice. You have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. You build a theology on all of Scripture, not one verse. And so Jesus says, it's also written. It's also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I, exa I see exactly what you're trying here, but I got a verse too. You want me to manipulate God? You want me to force his hand? You want me to put him in a position where he has to serve me? But I don't assume, I don't presume. I have been in relationship with him since eternity. So I'm gonna wait on him. I'm not gonna manipulate, I'm gonna cooperate. Jesus probably didn't say that, but it rhymes and it'll help you remember, <laughs> right? It could condense the whole thing down to this one phrase. As followers of Jesus, we've been called to cooperate with God, not manipulate him. We've been called to cooperate with him, which means we wake up every single day and say, God, I'm going to face all kinds of temptation, but I just want you to know, I'm not going to try and manipulate here. I'm going to cooperate with you. I'm not going to try and talk you into some things or slap the label of faith onto my decisions that have nothing to do with faith or set up situations that are going to force your hand. I'm here to cooperate with you, not try and manipulate you. And so let me, let, me just, let me just tell you what I've observed through the years. I don't have a verse for this. This is just my observation, okay? I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm just making an observation. And this could be right where you're at, or this could be for the future. This could be for later. But the men and women, as I've noticed, the men and women who, who are most disappointed with God. And, and when I say that, it, it's I go, something doesn't work out, and we go, what are you thinking, God? Or... What are you doing? How could you allow this to happen to me? The men and women who are most disappointed with God are men and women who have never fully surrendered to God. They're, they're religious. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They probably have a Bible somewhere. Perhaps they've read it. But they spend all their religious energy trying to get God to do stuff for them. They have a plan. And for, for most of the time, it looks like it worked out. It works out. But, but every now and then, they want God to go left, and he swerves right. 
And all of a sudden it's like, what went wrong? I, I can't believe in a God who. Hear that a lot? I just, I just don't see. They can't see how God would do something like that, and they never admit it. But their entire religious experience is about manipulating, manipulating God instead of waking up every day and cooperating with him because he's God, which means he knows best, which means he sees it all. He sees the ins and outs of everything. I'm telling you, to give in to this temptation, and it's so subtle. It's God will always, God would never, God, you've got to. And the Bible says, and I found this verse in Ezekiel, I have no idea what it means, but I think it has, means that you have to do what I just set you up to do. To give in to this temptation, to manipulate God, is to set yourself up to experience deep disappointment with him. But there's, 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 a, there's another angle to this, and I, I'll, I'll let Tim Keller say it, because he says that way better than I do. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. <sighs> I don't like that. I, I don't like it. Because we're not just setting ourselves to be disappointed up with, with God, <laughs> or at least not with who God really is. We're setting ourselves up to be disappointed with a God that we've made in our own image. The other thing I've noticed from people that live in manipulation mode, they don't hear from God. They, they just don't hear from him. It's hard to get clarity when you're living in manipulation mode because people who manipulate don't really want to know God's will for their life. They want God to help them accomplish their own will for their own life. I mean, think, think about it like this. If you've ever been walking out on a day where there's a slight breeze and you're walking with the breeze, you can't hear the breeze, Right? And then when you turn around, it's like, oh, there is a breeze out today. And then you turn around again and walk the other way, there's no breeze. And then you turn around and you walk into it, there's a breeze, there's no breeze, there's a breeze, there's no breeze, right? It's so subtle, but the only way you pick it up is if you turn in the direction facing it. And hearing from God is much like that. The direction you're headed in will determine your sensitivity to God's voice. And the man or woman moving in the direction of manipulation won't hear him. He's there. He's speaking. And hey, he loves you. The father, in the story of the prodigal son, was watching for his son to come home. He's watching. He's waiting for you to turn in his direction. But the one who lives in manipulation mode can't hear him. It's only when you turn and face in the direction of cooperation that you start to hear what God has to say. And to get there, to get there is to wake up every morning and say, God, today in my life, your will be done. Your will be done. I, I, I don't even know what that means yet, but your will be done. If things don't go my way, I trust you, your will be done. If we run out of water, I trust you. Your will be done. When she calls me back, when she doesn't call me back, I trust you. Your will be done. When he leaves the train station, I trust you, I think. Your will be done. When my health goes south, I trust you. Your will be done. I trust you because I am here not to live life on my behalf. I'm here to live my life on your behalf. Your will be done. Giving into this temptation, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. But even more than giving into the temptation is the tragedy 
of not hearing from God. So how do you know? How do you know? That's like, isn't that the question? How do I know which direction I'm headed in? Well, as we close, I want to give you three things to pay attention to, three indicators, three things to monitor. And you can do it right here before you leave. You can think about these three things right here. Three things to think about, okay? Your prayers, your response to negative circumstances, and your attitude when you're tempted. Your prayers, your response to negative circumstances, your attitude when you're tempted. Our prayers are either built around trying to get God to do a bunch of stuff for us, or they're built around your will be done. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I got a long list here that I would love for you to do, but I'm here for you. I'm surrendered to you, so your will be done. You'll get a pretty good idea if you're a manipulator or a cooperator when you look and pay attention to your prayers or, or how you respond when things fall apart. Is it, you know, I don't understand this, but God surely has a plan. I trust him. And on the other side of this, he will show himself to be faithful. That, that's a cooperator. The manipulator says, where's God? How could God? I thought God. In other words, God's not really cooperating with me right now. And you know what? Over the last 13, 14 months, we've had a pretty good exercise in figuring out how we deal with negative circumstances. How have you done? And then, what about your attitude towards sin? Your attitude towards when you're tempted? You know how the manipulator responds to sin? Ah, nobody's perfect. God will forgive. It's not a big deal. I'll just go to church on Sunday and I'll get it all worked out. I mean, I'm given a lot of money. I've got the system down. I know how to play God. Presume, 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 assume, assume, assume. See, the tragedy is, it's, it's not that you've given into the temptation. The tragedy is you've set yourself up for disappointment with God and you've set yourself up not to hear from him because God speaks the loudest and this is so challenging to me. God speaks the loudest to the soul that's most surrendered to him. And so I just want to wake up every single morning. God, I surrender. Your will be done. On earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. I mean, think about this. It's, it's why when Jesus walked this earth, there were men and women who were shoulder to shoulder with him, and they didn't recognize him. The religious leaders, I mean, their entire job was to study the scriptures to find out who the Messiah was, and they missed him. Their very vocal cords, the vocal cords that Jesus created, were used to call him a blasphemer. Why is that? It wasn't Jesus' fault. They just decided that they were going to be a manipulator. I'm going to manipulate the laws. I'm going to manipulate the, uh, you know, the, the rules. I'm going to manipulate the people. I mean, read the Gospels. This is what the religious leaders do. They manipulate things so they're being served. They're manipulators instead of cooperators. And my prayer for you, goodness, my prayer for me, is that we would just wake up every single day ready to cooperate with our Heavenly Father. 
that we, we just start each and every day, yeah, I got some dreams and plans and goals, but bottom line, your will be done. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. So where are you? And, and you're the only one who can answer that question. Where are you on this? Listen to your prayers, pay attention to your response to negative circumstances, and listen to the thoughts that come to mind when you're tempted. And you'll have a pretty good idea. And, and I don't want you to think that so you leave this place feeling guilty. I want you to recognize where you're at so you can know how to get to the place where you can be. Where you get to the place where you look the tempter in his beady little eyes. And you say to him, no, that's your idea. That's not God's idea. No, that's actually my idea. That's not God's idea. And I'm not here to assume. I'm not here to presume on him. I'm here to cooperate with him, not manipulate with him. Your will be done every single day. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And we'll come back next week. For those of you who are brave enough to come back next week, and we'll wrap this series up. But let me pray for us. Father in heaven, this is so subtle, and I'm so guilty of it at times. But, but my, my heart, my motive, my soul, I, I want to be one of those unique Jesus followers. As driven as I am sometimes, as, as, as much as I want to see change and movement and growth, I just want to be able to wake up every day and honestly, sincerely pray, in spite of all that, your will be done in my family, in my life, with my health, with my finances, with this church. And God, would you lead us all to that place? For, for those of us who fall into the category where, where we know you, we love you, but we've got some plans for you, it, it's so hard for us to see. But God, I pray through your spirit, even right now, you would help us to see it and, and to allow you to break that in us. And then this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, later this week, when we start going down that road, would you just stop us in our tracks and help us realize, well, there it is. There it is. I almost, I almost missed it again. Would you help us to trust you with our prayers, to trust you when bad things happen to us, to trust you when we're tempted, instead of presuming on your goodness, instead of assuming on your grace that we would allow your goodness and grace to drive us to submit to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise that one day we'll be with you. You'll be with us. And this will all make sense and and, and you'll wipe every tear from our eye. You'll show us why exactly it was that we went through that, why we dealt with that, why that happened. But, but in the meantime, would you help us to see this temptation for what it is and help us to surrender to you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, thanks for being with us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.